when your kids were smaller and your kids watched something on TV, maybe it was a sporting event or an action show or something like that. What my kids did is if they watched something on TV that was like karate, they would then, after the shows over, do karate. Or if it was guns, they would want to get out their toy guns and have a war in the house. Or if it was a sport, they would then want to play that sport. And it just seems like whatever they watched, they, after watching it, they then wanted to do it. Revelation is supposed to be like that for each one of us. We, we are supposed to see and hear Jesus Christ in such a way that what we have seen and heard affects what we want to do with the rest of our lives. And so I want us today just to, to see and hear Jesus, to be able to hear what he says, to see who he is, and let him just shape who we are so when we leave this place, we literally are leaving this place ready to be something that can only be done because we have seen Jesus Christ. So let's open God's word, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12. We're going to just read this section by section, and I want to give an explanation as to what we're seeing so that we will rightly see Jesus, hear who he is, and then rightly respond to him being changed by what we have seen. All right, so let's read this together, starting in verse 12. And to the messenger or the angel of the church at Pergamum write, the one who has a sharp double-edged sword says this. So remember, the first thing we're going to see in each of the messages to the churches in Revelation is something about the vision of Christ related to chapter 1, where John saw Jesus conveyed to the church specifically for that church. And so for the church at Pergamum, they are reminded to behold Jesus as the one who has coming from his mouth a sharp double-edged sword. That's the vision that this church needs right now. So before they hear what Jesus has to say, they need to be reminded just exactly who it is Jesus is. And the specific attribute of Jesus that the Lord wants them to see is a sharp double-edged sword coming from his mouth, which symbolizes the word of Jesus Christ. His word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to cut to the middle of who we are, what we think, what we, what we feel. He's able to just divide everything that's going on inside of us and rightly display who we are in light of who he is. So that when we want to defend ourselves before him, we have no defense. So if we want to explain why we've done what we've done, we have no explanation. When he speaks, we know his judgments are right and true. His word is profound and no one can stand against his word. That is the vision that the church of Pergamum needed to see about Jesus so they are rightly prepared to hear what he has to say. So when the church of Pergamum is reminded Jesus Christ is the one who has the sharp double-edged sword coming out his mouth, they are now ready to respond to his words. And he says, verse 13, I know where you dwell, where the throne of Satan is, and you hold fast to my name, and you 
have not denied my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed from among you where Satan dwells. Now, when people come up and ask me, where do you live? I tell them, I live in Georgetown. Now, I'm new to this community, and I've tried to learn some things about the community. One of the things I've learned about the community since being here is we're the red poppy capital of the world. I didn't even know what a red poppy was before I moved here. But now that's what we are. I mean, we're, that's, so somebody comes ask, you live in Georgetown? Tell me about Georgetown. Well, I'll tell you about Georgetown. We're the red poppy capital of the world. What? Is that like drugs? <laughs> no, it's a flower. I tell them about it. I tell them about things about our community. I say, well, you know, we're the hometown of Mason Crosby. That's pretty cool. There's some other people that live in the area that are really cool folks. You know, we, that's where we live. Now, imagine if somebody came up to me and said, hey, where do you live? And I said, I live in Satan's hometown. They'd <laughs> be like, are you serious? I heard you lived in Georgetown. No, I, for real, Satan's hometown. I mean, that would it be like. You walk up to somebody from Pergamum and you say, hey, where do you live? And they say, I live in Satan's hometown. Now, that's not a really positive thing to say about where you live, right? But Jesus is saying to the church at Pergamum, I know where you live, and where you live is where Satan has set up his house. So I understand what it's like to live there and follow me. I understand the opposition that you have. I understand that this is perhaps one of the most difficult places on the face of the earth to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I recognize that you have stayed true to my name. I see what you're doing. You're doing a great job. You live in a very difficult place, and you are sticking in there no matter what. In fact, people you love and care about are being killed for my name they're being faithful to the point of death and you guys continue to hang in there I want you to know be encouraged I know exactly what you're facing I see your faithfulness great job it's like the Lord is affirming everything that they are I mean I would love for the Lord to say those kinds of things about me and about our church family that the Lord say, hey, I know where you live. There's some challenges where you live, but you're staying true to my name. Great job. I would love to hear that. But let me just tell you, it is so gracious of Jesus Christ that he did not stop with the positive. That he actually said, you're doing a great job, but then he's going to tell them some areas where they're not doing so good. And it is the grace of God that he would do that. He would not let us think that we're actually better than what we are, but would actually be kind enough to show us where we are still needing His grace to touch our lives and grow. And that's exactly what He's doing at the church of Pergamum. He's saying, you guys are doing great. The grace that I have given you is shaping you. You're standing in a difficult place, but my grace is not done with you yet. And though I see something really good happening in you, I want you to know what else I see. And look what He says. Verse 14 says, but I have just a few things against you. See, there are some of you who are holding fast the teaching of Balaam, which he taught to Balak to throw a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat food, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So there are some among you who are clinging to the teaching of the Nicolaitans just in the same way. So here's what he points out. He says, I know that there are some people in the church, 
There's a group in the church that follows the teaching of Balaam. There's a group in the church that follows the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans we saw earlier in chapter 2, we don't know anything about them through Scripture at all, except that God doesn't like what they teach. It is not in accord with the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God sent his son, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for the sins of the world, rose again from the dead, overcoming sin and death, and that anybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ and follows him as Lord and Savior will be forgiven of their sins and given eternal life as a promise from God because of what Christ has done on their behalf. In some way, the teaching of the Nicolaitans was departing from that. And then he says, some of you in the church, there's a group in the church that's adhering to the teaching of Balaam. Now that phrase or that description is used several places in the New Testament to describe a teaching that comes out of a story in the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 22 and following, there's a story about a guy named Balaam who is pursued by the king of Moab, Balak, to curse the people of Israel because he's afraid they're going to come in and wipe him out. So he's like, I've got to get somebody to curse this people so I can overcome them in battle. He recruits Balaam to do it, and Balaam tells Balak, I can't curse the people of God because God has blessed them, and whom God has blessed, I cannot curse. Well, Balak keeps trying to convince Balaam to help him in some way overcome the Israelites, and apparently even though Balaam did not curse them, he began to tell them some things along the way about how they could actually damage Israel. And it had something to do with feasts and sacrifices to idols and sexual immorality. And the people of God fell. God came in, rescued his people, and then used his people to bring judgment on Moab. And Balaam is actually killed by a sword. Now keep that in mind. Balaam is killed by a sword. What's coming out of Jesus' mouth? Sword. So the teaching of Balaam has something to do with food related to idolatry and the idolatry of sexual immorality. And so Jesus is saying there's some people in the church that are departing from the gospel and they're gravitating towards clinging to holding fast to this teaching that is exhibiting itself in some form of idolatry related to food and the idolatry of sexual immorality. So Jesus says, I know you're doing a great job, but I've got these things against you. You got some folks in there not doing the right thing. And notice what Jesus says, verse 16. Therefore, repent. He tells the whole church, repent. He says, you're doing some great things. Here are the problems. You got a couple groups inside there not following me like they need to be following. Now the whole church needs to repent. And then he says, otherwise I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war with them, those who are departing, with the sword of my mouth. He tells the whole church, you need to repent. If you don't repent in this matter, I am coming to make war against those who have departed from the gospel with the sword of my mouth. I'm going to come. I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to bring wrath. I'm going to bring correction. It is not going to be pretty. And what he said to the church at Pergamum is significant. See, the problem in the church at Pergamum was not just that there were a couple of groups who were departing from the gospel, that was a problem, no doubt. 
But that wasn't the most significant problem. The more significant problem was that the church as a whole was not doing anything about it. And so Jesus says, the whole church needs to repent because you got people among you who are not walking faithfully. And so everybody is in need of repentance. And you need to go after those who are not following me and help them avoid this that's coming from my mouth and it's coming quickly. So get after it. Go after them. Help them along. You church, get after these people who are departing. You all need to repent in this matter. I want my church following me. And then he encourages them so much. He tells them a warning. I'm coming. It's not going to be good. You should prefer repentance over what I'm fixing to do. And then he gives them a great promise. Look what he says in verse 17. The one who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give to him hidden manna. And I will give to him a small white stone and upon that stone will be a new name which has been already written which no one knows except the one who receives it Jesus says if you overcome if you hang in there if you cling to me and you make this right if you come back to me and repent here's my promise to you I'm going to give you hidden manna I'm going to give you a white stone with a new name that no one knows except the person who receives the stone and I'm going to give you that stone now what in the world is Jesus promising consider that the problem we are aware of at the church of Pergamum is idolatry related to food. And Jesus says, my promise to you, if you'll hang in there and you'll go and seek to rescue those who are departing and all of you will cling to me and say no to the temptation that's in the city of Pergamum that's drawing these people away from me, if you'll say no to the food that's involved in idolatry, that's giving you some level of satisfaction right now, then I'm going to give you a food, the hidden manna. You know what manna is. Manna is that food that God supplied to his people when they were leaving Egypt, spending their time in the wilderness. He just miraculously supplied for them the sustenance they needed while they're in the wilderness. And Jesus is saying, I have a manna that's hidden. You've not seen it, never been experienced before. And I'm gonna bring it to you and give it to you. It's a sustenance for your soul that'll satisfy you forever. The the problem right now in Pergamum is not that you have a longing for satisfaction that you're finding temporarily through this food associated with idolatry. The problem is not that longing. The problem is that you're letting your longing be satisfied by something that's not lasting or eternal. You're letting this satisfy you when I'm making a promise to you to give you hidden manna that will satisfy your soul forever. And then he makes this promise, this little white stone with a new name on it just for you that no one will know except you when you receive it from Christ. You notice the other area of their departure in this little group in the church was the area of sexual immorality. They had this longing in their heart for relationship. It's not that the longing is wrong, it's that they're pursuing that longing in the wrong way and they're not trusting that the Lord can satisfy their hearts within the boundaries that he's established as right and good. 
And he says to them, I'm going to bring you a promise that I'll fulfill. And that promise is this little white stone has a brand new name for you on it that you will know the moment I give to you and it will show you how special my relationship is with you. I love you. I have a new name just for you. And my promise is going to bring you into a relationship forever that you will never, ever have imagined could be so good. He tells them, I have a promise that can overcome every temptation you're facing right now. And you got to trust me. So keep walking with me and go after those who are departing from me. And all of you repent and come back to me because I am worth following. Trust me. After we open God's word and we read through it and we see what's there, we should, because of what we've seen and heard, leave today differently. So might I encourage you today that you leave this place as a person who is choosing repentance because it is simply a better way. Jesus says to his church in Pergamum, everybody there needs to repent because if you don't repent, I'm coming. And when I come with the sword in my mouth the way I'm coming, with you not repenting, it's not the preferred way. The way you should rather choose is that you hear what I'm saying and that you all repent and void the experience of me coming with a sword coming out of my mouth. It's much better to repent. And I want to encourage you today to be a person who chooses repentance. The church at Pergamum had every opportunity to say, hey, Lord, we're getting it done. Antipas, he died for you. Are you kidding? We're awesome. Jesus is saying, yes, you're doing great and my grace is effective, but don't for one second believe I don't want you to grow. I want you to keep changing. I want you to keep growing. That means you've got to repent. You've got to make repentance the choice that you make regularly. Here's the thing. A lot of us in here at times will think of ourselves in such a way that what we think of ourselves is not really how we are. We have the tendency at times to think of ourselves as much better than what we really are. And then there are some in this room that have the tendency to think so poorly of ourselves we could never experience the forgiveness of God. Our tendency is either to think so highly of ourselves we don't need to repent like so-and-so needs to repent. I know what they do. They need to hear this sermon today. Or we think, I would love this to be for me but there's no way God can forgive me based on what I've done. And I want to encourage you that repentance is a far better way. It's far better to let God show you who you really are, where you really need to grow, and let him change you. It's far better to accept that no matter how far you have gone into sin and brokenness, that God can rescue you and redeem you. Repentance is a better way. I want to tell you what that looks like in my life, okay? So this last week, I asked the Lord, Lord, you just show me if there's anything in my life that needs growth and change. Just, just show me where I've not been walking faithfully before you. I found that every time I ask that question, it's very easy then to not think of myself better than what I really am. That God is always faithful to say, yeah, you've got some good things going on, but I got a few things against you this last week. And I want to help you in that area. 
For me, this last week, one of the things that God brought to my mind and my heart was patience. It felt like, you know, there's several times this week we said, I think back on the week that I really displayed impatience. I felt the Lord was just saying, you know, you're doing well in this area, but I got this against you, Kevin. You didn't show the patience towards others that I show to you every single day. Okay, Lord, I want you to change me. I'm so glad that you care enough about me not to leave me in my deception, that I'm better than what I am or that I'm worse than what I am, but you just want to take me where I am and change me to be more like Christ. I want to be a patient man, Lord. Would you help me? So this is what I began to do. I began to think this week about the patience of God. Lord, I just want to think about, contemplate, read scripture. I want to think about how you've been so patient with me that every time I've sinned against you, you have not reserved your love for me. That you instead extended your love and grace to me in perfect patience, bringing me back to who you are in the best possible way. You've never stood over me and said, you sorry little preacher. You stand over me and you say, my child, do you see the grace that's here for you? And you just patiently keep calling me back. And no matter what I've done, you stand your patience. And as I've thought about his patience, I've been asking the question, okay, as I've experienced the patience of God in my life, what has that done in my life? And it brings forth gratitude. It brings forth a way of, of changing the way I act so that I actually demonstrate more patience. Do you know that when I contemplate the patience of God and I think about what God has done in me and I tell God thank you for what he's done, all of a sudden I find within me one of two things. I find in me the spirit of God working out patience in me or when my flesh displays impatient I'm that much faster to see the sinfulness of that attitude and that heartbeat and confess that sin to the Lord and we get right back into repentance I just want to encourage you choose repentance there's not a single person in this room that does not need to grow God doesn't want to change, but you got to choose repentance. And as you choose repentance, would you be so caring towards those around you that you would choose to help others choose repentance? I mean, that's what God is saying to the church at Pergamum. You all need to repent because some people in your church are departing and you haven't been going after them. And I want you all coming back to me. Would you choose repentance and then choose to care enough to help others choose repentance? You can't get that out of order. If you're not choosing repentance in your life and you go about trying to help somebody else choose repentance, I promise you how you're going to look is not good. You're going to come across so self-righteous and arrogant that the grace of God's going to be clouded under your own piety. And that's not how God has called us to function with one another. He has called us to be a repentant people who come alongside people to help them also walk where we're walking in repentance. I think you understand me correctly when I'm, when I'm saying to you, help somebody else choose repentance. What I'm saying to you is that you need to be willing to walk, along somebody, walk beside somebody and tell them they're wrong. And they need to come back to Christ. And that's not easy. You know what our tendency is? Our tendency is to watch somebody do something wrong or to hear somebody say something wrong and then go and talk to somebody that didn't say it or do it. 
about what we saw or heard. So we'll say things like, you're never going to believe what I saw today. You're never going to believe what I heard today. And sometimes we can put a spiritual spin on it and say, I'd overheard this. I wasn't supposed to hear it. I know, but it did. And it just happened. So I'm sure that God wanted me to hear it. And because God wanted me to hear it, I'm, I'm compelled to share with you because we can pray about this brother or sister who said this. They need the Lord to help them. And we put the spiritual spin on it. And I just want to just graciously and kindly say, as all of us have walked in those shoes, one time or another, we need to be, be repentant. And instead of talking about what someone says or does, be willing to come alongside that someone as one who is walking in repentance and just saying what you did or what you said isn't the best way for us to live as a people following Christ. I'm right here alongside you, letting God shape my heart, and I'd love for him to shape our hearts together and us walk in a better way. We'll be, we'll be a faithful church if we'll be a church willing to come alongside others and help them choose repentance as we're choosing repentance. Do you know where you live? The Bible gives us clear understanding about where we live. And we don't just live in Williamson County. The Bible communicates that we live in Satan's backyard, that he rules and reigns a domain here on the earth such that so much about what our world is pursuing is contrary to who God is. We live where Satan dwells. You know what that means for followers of Jesus Christ? That it's going to be difficult. That more often than not, we're going to be faced with difficulty and challenge and hardship as we follow Christ. You know what that means for you and me? We have a choice right where we live whether or not we will buy into what our culture and our community says will satisfy us in the moment or whether or not we will deny temporary satisfaction that this world offers and instead wait on the promises of Christ which will fulfill us and satisfy us forever. We have to decide whether or not we're going to be a people who choose to wait. That we choose to wait when the world is offering us satisfaction through sexual immorality, that we choose to wait. When the world is offering us opportunities to exalt idols in our life for whatever pursuits we want outside of pursuit of Christ, we've got to be a people that say, I'm going to wait for the promises of God. They're far better than a moment of dissatisfaction this side of heaven. In fact, if I will trust in the satisfaction of Jesus Christ, I will discover that no matter how dissatisfying any moment might be this side of heaven, that I will not be disappointed in this age or the age to come. He is worth following. And I want to encourage you to choose to wait on the promises of Christ, no matter what the delay, no matter what the difficulty, He is worth waiting for. If you've seen Jesus, if you've heard Him speak, then how is it you need to leave this place? Where do you need to repent? Who do you need to come alongside of and help follow Christ? In what way do you need to say no to temptation and yes to waiting on Christ? Our city, our community needs a people who are choosing repentance 
because there is simply no way they will ever see Jesus or hear him unless they see and hear him through how he's changing you and me. Have you seen him? Have you heard him? Then you can't stay the same.